This is Trust the Evidence, a new podcast series from the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine at the University of Oxford, presenting conversations with individuals interested in improving healthcare through the use of better evidence. I'm in Copenhagen uh, this afternoon and it's my great pleasure to be with Professor John Broderson, who is Professor in General Practice at the University of Copenhagen in the region of Zealand. Hi, John. Hi, Carl. Um, one of the things about John is he's a, a special interest and is, I'm going to say this, a world expert in overdiagnosis and he's chair of the Overdiagnosis Committee for the upcoming conference in Quebec. That's right, is it? Yes, that's right. Okay, super. Let's just ask you one specific question. This is something that's taken me a few years to get my head around. What do we mean by the term overdiagnosis? Uh, for me, uh, defining overdiagnosis is also hard, but uh, let me try. It's uh, finding deviations, it's finding abnormalities, it's finding risk factors, it's finding pathology that never in, in, in themselves will give the patient any symptoms. Uh, maybe in abnormalities and deviations you cannot say that, but at least in risk factors and pathology, the patient will not have any symptoms. They will not cause any illness and they will not be the cause of death. The reason why I'm emphasizing the problem about symptoms is that you can have people that have symptoms but are still overdiagnosed. Uh, uh, depression is a beautiful didactical example. Because people can be sad, people can mourn, um, uh, but not be depressed. They have symptoms, but you, as a physician, might overdiagnose them with these symptoms. Oh, well, that's interesting. I'll come back to the one about depression. Have you got any other examples beyond depression where, I mean, I read and one risk of... Risk factors, I mean, risk factors is, is so easy. You have yeah. so many risk factors that can be overdiagnosed. Yeah osteoporosis, okay. cholesterol, hypertension. So, I mean, all, think about all kinds of risk factors in epidemiology. They, they can be overdiagnosed. And one of the things I've seen a lot, which you can clarify, is we seem to get imaging techniques that get better and better, higher mm. quality, mm. and suddenly you're seeing huge increases in viral cancer detection. Yes. Increases in pulmonary embolism that you might not yeah. have seen. Yeah. And is that causing us special problems? That's causing a lot of uh, <laughs> mind-puzzling, I would say, because when I teach medical students okay. and even trainees in general practice these issues, I see that physicians and medical students tend to say pathology is equal to disease. And it's not. Because we know by heaps of studies uh, that there's a huge reservoir for pathology in the human body. So we can have we can carry around with a lot of pathology that will never develop to any kind of symptoms, illness, or cause of death. So and it is a puzzle because for many, many years medicine has regarded pathology as disease. Yeah. And 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 when and when you then go and test asymptomatic people or you use very, very sensitive new technology in diagnostic work out, you could be able to find uh, incidental illness, you could find something you wouldn't uh, have found otherwise, that is never going to develop to anything. So just an incidental loma, just, just define that incidental loma is? I would say incidental loma is a finding, again it would 
be abnormality, it would be deviation, it would be risk factor, it would be pathology, where you're actually looking for something different. Let's say that you are doing a CT scan of the lungs and you find something on the uh, on the, on the kidney okay. because you went a bit too far down to the abdomen and you find some spot there. That's an incidental okay. aroma. So one of the things we've seen, I've seen a rise in, in, in Britain, I don't know if you have this in Denmark, is uh, private screening. and You can get your whole CT body scan now, can't you? And, and I don't know if you can get that in Denmark. but you can, you can get that in Denmark, but it's not a huge problem here. Uh, the, the, public, uh, the public healthcare sector is providing people with really good health service in this country, and there's not a big demand yet. But but you will have uh, private sectors, and you will have some companies running yearly health up ch- health checks for their employees, and um, so we see a growing tendency, and we we see what I would call screening on demand. We see more and more consumers. This is not patients anymore. This is healthy citizens that regard themselves as consumers in the healthcare sector, demanding all kinds of. So testing. I like the statement, it's not a problem yet, but we're going there because the other thing is you're seeing is the rise of genetic testing, but you can buy it over the counter, you can buy it on the internet, and you can have what you call genetic risk factors, which you can get your own profile back. And that's a huge... And you forgot one thing, Carl. Hmm? Health apps. Yeah, that's another aspect. So self-monitoring, monitoring via your smartphone, it's going to be an increasing market. And you have all these wireables uh, yeah. in, uh, where you can do all kinds of testing on yourself. So you have now probes, ultrasound probes that you can connect to your smartphone. You have now uh, 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 things you can put under your skin and monitor, monitor you uh, continuously. So, so the, what we call the false positive, the ability of a measure to be abnormal, just because you're measuring it so often, mm-hmm. will create a health anxiety. That will that, be saying that, I've already documented that having a false positive is creating health anxiety and and has a negative impact on your psychosocial outcomes. So, but so, but but this is not false positives. Remember, overdiagnosis is not the same yeah, as false yeah. positives. So let's just that's really helpful. But let me just so one of the problems I see is over here. There's a rational viewpoint, and we might pick an example like PSA testing. Yes, good example. The evidence says. And I, we've looked at this evidence for 25 years. If you have a PSA test in an elderly gentleman, you're more likely to die of something else than the PSA, yes. the prostate cancer. Yes. And that's very well-established cohort observational evidence. The and problem, we have beautiful randomized control okay. trials. The problem is the overwhelming forces seem to be known in the policy, but the public push towards, mm-hmm. but screening's still a great thing. Mm, early diagnosis, yes. Mm. The The... Uh, when I spoke to uh, Lisa Schwartz about this over at Dartmouth, she said it's the love of screening. It's like we're doing something for the population, yep. Yep. so we're looking after them. Yep. Now, h- how do we uh, disentangle them forces? What have we got to do? Because it seems like the evidence is not doing enough to say, actually, we shouldn't be doing this. And once it's rolled out, you can't mm. roll anything back in mm. healthcare. I think we have to... I don't think you can educate the population when there's so strong campaigns and so much saying in the media about early diagnosis is beneficial. Mm. 
So I think we need some other kind of support. And, and most of this is going on in general practice in Denmark with the PSA testing. And I would like the National Board of Health and I would like the cancer organization, the patient organization in this country to support the GPs not to take the PSA test. So I think we need some, some other kind of communication now and we need authorities, patient organizations to support physicians to do less. Okay. We don't see that right now. We, say, we see recommendations of what to do and what to do more of, and this is what is going on. We also need the authorities to support us to do less. Okay, that's really interesting. So what you're saying is you need support from the policy, the public, and engaging for GPs to do the right thing for the at the right time for the patient. Exactly. Now, it's interesting. Let's just roll back a bit, because what we've seen is a, a sort of, I want to call them a band of renegade academics who've sort of got together and created a sort of conference and an and arena to discuss over-diagnosis. Yes. And that was the first one was in Dartmouth. The first one in 2013 was in Dartmouth, and you were in, there in, in Hanover, in 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 USA. Why did why did that come about? What was the reason for that conference coming about? What I see is there's a lot of general practitioners, there's a lot of general internalists, there's a lot of epidemiologists that can see that medicine has gone astray, um, that technology is. I mean, it's really great that technology is developing, yeah. but when you're using technology for the, for the wrong purpose, the problem is that you find something you wouldn't like to find. But I, I see a growing yeah. acknowledgement, I see a growing evidence, I see a growing concern about that we see for some diseases that the incidence is increasing or actually exploding and the mortality rate is the same. Well, I think the one when we, we went to Washington to the National Institute of Health, which was a great statement for them to hold a conference on overdiagnosis. Um, I remember it was Alan Schwartz who talked about the ADHD explosion in America as a good example of that. Yes. That actually by screening and teachers referring children when there was a problem, that they've had a huge explosion in ADHD. Yes which presents all sorts of problems. And you can see an explosion in depression, you can see an explosion in thyroid cancer, in prostate cancer, in malignant melanoma. And now I've even read a paper the other day that we can see that esophageal cancer might also now start to explode because people are being tested much more intensive yeah, and yeah. much earlier for very weak symptoms. And then you find something that you will characterized as cancer pathology in the esophagus. So what we're seeing is a shift in the sort of the, the sort of market for medicine is is most of the is bottom dropped out of drugs and actually it's coming to technology, said health apps, yeah. devices, screening, that's where the business end of it is. What is what is really interesting is that uh, the patient organizations and healthcare uh, or, uh, the people taking care of the healthcare, the national boards of health, they're so concerned about diagnosis. Mm. And I mean, the only reason why we as physicians should be interested in a diagnosis is because of the patient's prognosis yeah. and nothing else. Because it's going to change the management in some way. You're going to do something yeah. that's going to yeah. improve the outcome. And, and uh, sorry to say this 
this way, but I don't really care about the diagnosis if it doesn't change the prognosis. So there's that classic paper by Dave Sackett, who was the first director of Centre, which goes back to the 70s, wasn't they? When they went in the workplace and diagnosed people yeah. with hypertension. Yeah, it's a beautiful paper. And a beautiful. And what they found is that actually the people who got the diagnosis took the, more time off work, had more psychological depression, anxiety. Got less, got less salary? Got, got less. Early, earlier on, <laughs> on, on retirement? Yeah, all them sorts of features. Only from the labelling effect of yeah. hypertension. Yeah, without understanding the potential, what's the yeah. benefits versus the yeah. harms of this approach. Yeah. I think that should be one of the seminal papers, I agree. Now, let me just come to a point then. You're, uh, as I said at the beginning, on the scientific committee, chair of the scientific committee in Quebec, and then the following year is in, going to come to Copenhagen. Yes, in going 2018. Be, it's going to be a huge event. I'm going to host it, yes. But what's really been interesting, we've been involved, it was in Oxford, then it's gone to Washington, so it's going around the world, is what, why is it such an event that's captured the imagination of academics and people in practice who we've seen uh, abstracts in there, hundreds applied. There's, it's not a conference which has a, normally has some committee or, or organisation behind it. And why is it that people find it such an interesting area and why did they come to the conference, do you think? I think it touches with the fundamental aspects of being a physician and doing a proper work. I mean, no physicians would like to harm a healthy person. No physicians would like to overdiagnose. And if you overdiagnose a person, you also would overtreat the person. And we know that any medical intervention can be harmful. So I think it touches with the... I mean, we as physicians, no physician would would, as the basic, like to overdiagnose anybody. But a lot of us can now see there's robust evidence and a growing bulk of evidence that we are actually overdiagnosing people. So, so we, I think there's a lot of us that really wants to do something about overdiagnosis. We want to decrease the, the degree of overdiagnosis. The, the conference name is Preventing Overdiagnosis which is a great name, and it, the optimal thing would, of course, be to not have any overdiagnosis at all. But that will, I, for certain areas, that will never happen. We will always have some degree of overdiagnosis, because there is also a balance between underdiagnosis and overdiagnosis that is delicate. So, so, but but we need to to change the culture around. Diagnostics. We need to change the di the culture around prevention among okay. healthy people, because if we don't change it, we are harming people and we are not helping them. Okay, super. On that note, what a really interesting discussion. We've talked about the fundamental aspects of doing the right thing. Pathology doesn't equal disease. It isn't a problem yet, but it is going to be. And if you're really interested, come to Copenhagen in 2018 and you can listen to and see Overdiagnosis in Action with Professor John Broderson. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carl. Super. Thank you for listening to Trust the Evidence. If you liked this episode and would like to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.cebm.net or find us on SoundCloud and iTunes by searching Trust the Evidence. See you next time.